Thanks for tuning in. Ham Talk Live will be on the air shortly. Please stand by. Thanks for tuning in. Ham Talk Live will be on the air shortly. Please stand by. This episode of Ham Talk Live is brought to you by Tower Electronics. For connectors, cables, and more, visit them at a ham fest near you or call 920-435-2973 or online at pl-259.com. Here's the snap. Rap takes the rig. He breaks through the pileup. He's on 80. Now 40. Now 20. 15. 10. 2 meters. Touchdown. Ham Talk Live. It's Ham Radio. Hey, good evening, everyone. It's time for Ham Talk Live, episode number 96. A new year and new kits with Joe K0NEB. Recorded live on Thursday, January 4th, 2018. I'm your host, Neil Rapp, WB9VPG. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Ham Talk Live tonight. We're joined by our friend Joe Eisenberg, K0NEB, and we'll take your calls live in just a few minutes. And last week, Bernie McClenny, W3UR from the Daily DX, was here. So if you missed that, you can listen anytime. Just go to hamtalklive.com and you can uh, hit play there and listen to it, or you can get the podcast version. Um, And we upload that to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeart Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, and SoundCloud. And then there's a bunch of others that pick it up after that. So uh, just check your favorite podcast app, and we should be there. We're also over on YouTube, if that's better for you. And um, get your quit kit questions, not quit questions kit questions ready to go and uh, we'll have those with uh, joe here in a little bit we'll talk to him first but let me give you the phone number so you have it ready it's not time to call just yet but uh, i'll let you know when it is but here's the phone number so you can have those dialing fingers ready it's 812 net ham 1 4261 you can also Skype us. We're Ham Talk Live on Skype. And you can tweet us as well if you'd rather. Um, our Twitter handle is at Ham Talk Live. And you can even comment on the website if you're uh, tuning in live here this evening. Um, so feel free to interact with us tonight. That's. Uh, what the show is for, so we'd like to hear from you. So I'll be back with Joe right after this word from Tower Electronics right here on Ham Talk Live. This episode of Ham Talk Live is brought to you in part by Tower Electronics. 
Tower Electronics has been the Ham's Dime Store since 1978. When you need connectors, mobile and handheld antennas, cables, or adapters, visit Scott or Jill at a Hamfest near you. Or you can order online at pl-259.com or call 920-435-2973. Stock up on those supplies like PL-259 and end connectors, SMA adapters, audio cables, soldering supplies, mobile antennas, and hand Sticks. Their silver-plated end connectors are even used on the International Space Station. Tower Electronics carries MFJ, Comet, Daiwa, OPEC, Workman, and HamPro products. And don't miss their 0% off sale going on now. Tower Electronics, online at pl-259.com. Proud to sponsor this episode of Ham Talk Live. A flashlight is a case for holding dead batteries. Now, here's Neil Rapp with more Ham Talk Live. Thanks to Scott and Jill at Tower Electronics for sponsoring the show tonight to help bring you Ham Talk Live. They'll be in... uh, Waukesha, Wisconsin. Say that five times fast. That's uh, Waukesha, Joe tells me in in my ear. It's on the 6th, so that's coming up on Saturday. And then they'll be doing the Florida sweep. They'll be at the uh, UCF, University of Central Florida show at Orlando on January 13th. And then January 19th and 20th, and let me bring Joe in here because Joe told me some some extra information here. January 19th and 20th, Fort Myers, Florida, and our and guest will, tonight, Joe, will be there too. Yep. Uh, even if I'm not speaking, I'm not sure if I am, but uh, I will definitely be there both days at the Hamfest in Fort Myers, right across from Cape Coral, where my brother lives. So uh, making kind of a weekend and week out of it. So you can see Joe and Scott and Jill from Tower Electronics, or you can give them a call at 920-435-2973, or you can visit them online at pl-259.com. Tell them you heard it on Ham Talk Live, and and tell them you know Joe Eisenberg, and maybe they'll they'll give you, like, they'll charge you double or something. Double or triple. <laughs> and I know Joe uh, uses a lot of... Uh, their stuff for the kit building. So that'll be a good chance for you to pick up some of those items there as well. Well, speaking of Joe, uh, let's get uh, right to it here. Joe Eisenberg, K0NEB, is from Lincoln, Nebraska, and is well known for his kit building expertise. He's also known for his picture shows of Hamvention. And he is the longtime kit building editor at CQ Magazine and often makes presentations and offers kit builds at Hamfest conventions and club meetings. Uh, Joe started out in ham radio at a very early age and has been licensed since 1969. And a lot of people know him from Dayton because of his Dr. Seuss hat. And we're even going to talk about the Dr. Seuss hat. There's breaking news in Dr. Seuss Hatland. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. So Joe, officially welcome. Well, thank you, Neil. And it's good to talk to you again. 
Yep, we, we'd like to have Joe on here every few months to uh, tell us about some kits that are coming out. So uh, let's start off with that. What's what's new out there in Kitland? Well, we're going to talk about one real quickly. Uh, this comes from qrpguys.com. This uh, little kit is about a, a two-inch uh, square, and... Uh, it's made by. It was designed by KD1JV, who is uh, known for his melt solder kits. This one is really designed that a beginning kit builder can probably put it together in about an hour. A uh, more experienced builder uh, like you and myself, probably maybe 20, 30 minutes. And what it is, is it's a code practice oscillator. And you say, well, there's a zillion of those out. One, not one like this. This one has an LED that flashes. It has a volume control for your headset volume, very loud audio output, and it will accommodate a straight key or a paddle. So it's it, it will be a keyer, and you can adjust the speed up and down. And it has another function. If you push this one button, it will start sending code to you. And so you can practice your code with it. It runs on a single CR2032 battery, which is not included in the kit, but very common, uh, available at local drugstores and so forth, because it's the same battery as in a lot of uh, automotive remote controls. Uh, the kit puts together real quickly and uh, is a great a asset if you want to train for uh, CW. You want to learn the code at whatever speed you want. It will do that. Very easy build. Very nice first-time kit. And uh, it's got all the instructions printed on the front and the back of the board. So uh, all you got to have that uh, have is that uh, uh, flipped over, and you can read all the different functions that it does. Uh, very easy to put together. Now, QRP guys also uh, sells a, uh, a kit called the Lydia CW single sideband receiver. And it has a digital dial option so that you have a full digital display for your 40-meter receiver. Now, actually, they do give you the modifications to put this on several different bands. So it doesn't necessarily have to be on 40. Uh, they do tell you the different components that you do have to replace in case you do it. It has a 10-turn pot, so it makes it very easy to tune. Nice receiver. Runs on 12 volts. And has an RF gain control, uh, CW sideband bandwidth switch for the receive, and on-off switch. Um, and a simple volume and tuning control and a five-digit digital display. Uh, also relatively easy to put together, but I would say you're going to spend at least a whole afternoon building this one because it has a toroid and the digital display is a separate kit. And... Uh, uh, if we go back to the uh, code oscillator, that thing was $15 for this 40-meter receiver, which is very small, fits in your hand very nicely. Um, it is $35, and the digital display option is $15. So it's not going to break the bank to build this nice little receiver. Now, finally, uh, if you look at your CQ magazine from November, and those of you who miss getting it in the mail, you can download that free by going to the CQ website and uh, click on the news story. It does have links, so you can download the November and December issues. And in the November issue, I introduced the idea of the Harbach kits. And these kits are there to repair not only the Heathkit amplifiers, but Drake's, Swan's, 
uh, all sorts of different radios. Uh, you can rebuild your power supplies and other vital components from the Harbach kits. Now, the Heathkit SB200, as you know, is a very, very popular amplifier. And it has a problem. The power supplies, after a while, start smoking. And, of course, we don't allow smoking, Neil. So, yeah, and, and when the magic smoke leaves, yeah, it doesn't work anymore. And I, I was fortunate to pay about $100 for this amplifier uh, used at a uh, local flea market. And what struck me about it is it just didn't have any scratches or dents or any marks in the paint. I mean, it looked like brand new. The meter was shiny and everything. And I thought, well, this looks like it's been used, but uh, and it had some dust and dirt in it and so forth. But it, it looked like it was functional. So when I brought it home, I plugged it in. And sure enough, I see the wisp of smoke coming out of it after I let the uh, tubes warm up for a bit. But I looked, and the high voltage was still holding at about nominal 2,300 volts. So I turned it off, obviously, when I saw the smoke. And I looked it up, and it said, hey, there's these kits out there that you can use to repair this amplifier. And if you'll see my uh, uh, January article in CQ Magazine, you'll see the pictures of... The power supply board, which is the first one of the three boards I got from Harbach and assembled. And I have to thank Harbach Electronics uh, for sending me these boards to uh, work with. And I found these to be very easy to assemble, absolutely easy to assemble. And it makes such a huge improvement in this amplifier. It's, it's hard to imagine. The capacitors are very tall in the old board, and they're very short in the new one. There's fewer diodes because diodes in the last 50 years have improved immensely. So I put together the power supply first, and then I, I removed the old one and put the new one in as per his instructions. And then the two other boards I did, one is kind of an inrush protection. And what it does is it switches in a couple of uh, load resistors in series with the power lead for about a half a second to a second when the power is first applied to the amplifier. And what this does is it protects your transformer and your filaments and so forth. And, uh, and it's out of the circuit, like I said, within about a second of turning that amplifier on. So it's pretty, pretty sweet. Uh, the other board that I did uh, includes an opto-isolator and switching transistor. And what that is used for is it changes the relay voltage because that amplifier required you to switch 130 volts DC. And radios back in the 60s and 70s had no trouble taking care of that. But your new solid-state radios have these tiny little relays or solid-state switches that don't do a real good job with 130 volts. So this cuts it down to about a volt, volt and a half, and very, very low current. And the good thing about this is there are external uh, adapter uh, kits that perform the same function, but this is built into the amplifier. So in case I took it to somebody else's station that had some kind of outside relay switching, it doesn't care. You can switch the low voltage with the relay just as easy as you can the high. But uh, the amplifier will only require the low voltage switching. So... Uh, Running about 78 watts, I think it was, on a bird going into it, I was able to get about 700 watts DC out So uh, of sine wave uh, CW. So 
It works great. I did put in new tubes. I got my tubes from DX Engineering, and their tubes are so well matched that you do not need to get a matched pair. Uh, you do not need to uh, balance them or anything else. So I, I highly recommend the very heavy-duty 572B tubes that DX Engineering uh, puts out. Um, and I think they cost me like 70-some dollars each. So uh, a good investment, especially if I, you're putting in all this other stuff in there, you don't want to have tubes that might accidentally have a grid short or something. Although... Uh, the tubes that were in there did not seem to misbehave for the time period I had them, so I did save them carefully. So I do have a spare set of tubes. Well, it never hurts to have a spare set of tubes because you just uh, you never know. Things happen. That's right. So now my project will be to upgrade my feed line systems, grounding network, and a couple of my antenna connections to handle the uh, the higher power level so that uh, uh, we can be a little bit louder and represent grid square EN10 a little bit more loudly this year. Sounds like a really cool project, and those amplifiers that are, are still... Uh being used just about everywhere so uh yeah it's a great uh, upgrade for those and and kind of restore the use on the old heath kit gear so sounds like a, yeah. a good deal so you can catch that in cq magazine november december and january right no uh, it would nope. be in the november january and february issues nope. i spent three january, months february. Uh, upgrading that amplifier, and I thought, what a perfect thing to do, even though I usually do QRP, uh, to ha have a kit amplifier being repaired by new kits. Yeah. Well, it's, it's kits for the Heath kit, so <laughs> how can you go wrong? Yeah, and I, I thought that was great. Uh, the other thing uh, we're going to talk about is where to put your kits when they're done. And yeah, this that's... is this has become a, a big bugaboo amongst kit builders, and that is a lot of kits do not have a case. Now, some of the Chinese kits are now coming with these uh, clear plastic uh, snap together cases or screw together, and they work quite well. Um, the Lydia receiver uses a circuit board material to make the front panel and the base and everything uh a lot of the four state qrp kits use circuit board material to make the integrated case so uh there's a lot of good uses for printed circuit board material um the other route to go is the four state qrp group because they use circuit board cases quite often they now have two different standard size cases one of them is exactly the right size for the uh, bid x series of kits and uh, the other one uh, i think might be able to handle the larger micro bid x i'll have to find out but um uh, you will have to drill those and so forth and put them together. And the way they are assembled is by soldering the edges of these boards together. And uh, so I think that's kind of a, an interesting way to do it. Um, Tentec used to supply a lot of cases. They do not anymore. But Hammond, Hammond does it. And I think they're there in Indiana. I'm not sure. Um, not sure if they're they're there. But Hammond makes... A uh, wonderful set of cases, all sorts of different sizes for all sorts of different kinds of projects. 
Yeah, that was one of the things that uh, I wanted to ask you about was, was uh, some of the enclosures. And I, I love that idea of the uh, the printed circuit board uh, where you just solder those together, and then it looks really cool too. So uh, that that's pretty neat. Uh, Not only that, but if it's a double sided board, it makes for a double shielded case. Yeah, and and that's exactly what I was looking for was some shielding. And so I, I did a project here last week. Um, I, I've got uh, a repeater and uh, the Raspberry Pi had had died and I had to replace it. And it's it's been actually off the air for a good while because it, it's just been a mess trying to get it going. But I finally got everything going. But it's in a um, high RF field environment because there's a, a television station and a 50,000 watt FM broadcast station right there at the site. And so everything gets shielded because it, if you turn the, the repeater cabinet a certain way, you start picking up the FM broadcast station uh, in your audio lines. And so we had to make sure we shield everything. So I wanted to put it in a, in a shielded box. So I bought a, a little aluminum box and wanted to put the um, Raspberry Pi in it. And I had a serial converter because I could hook it up and, and run Minicom to do the uh, repeater control over the internet too. And then um, the IRLP board needed some place to put it because on the Raspberry Pi, you can't just, you know, put it in an expansion slot like you do the desktop. So I, I got the box, but I didn't have all the little holes for the power and the video, um, for the monitor and the USBs and, and the serials and all of that. And so, I end up buying a Dremel and, and got started on, on the Dremel and, and started drilling some holes and, and, and cutting some holes in it. And it was just a mess in a big plastic shoebox for <laughs> way too long. But uh, if you had something like that, which it, it's done now, but if, if you had something like that, what would you suggest for, for getting those holes in there? Well, what I usually do is I, I try to plot it out as best I can, and then I use the Dremel to uh, uh, do the pilot holes, and then I use a full-size drill to widen them out. Uh, if I have square holes, uh, you can get um, uh, green leaf punches, and you can also get um, uh, uh, some of these that you can uh, use a wrench, and you close them in, and it punches the hole. Uh, if it's something large, uh, you can also use a nibbler tool if it's a uh, rectangular thing or something like that, if it's an aluminum box or a thinner plastic box. The circuit board material uh, cases, I have found, you know, they don't always look that super sharp, uh, but they have double shielding. And that makes a big difference when you're talking about being in a high power broadcast environment. Uh, the other thing it lets you do is solder things to the uh, inside case and uh, ground the thing well. Uh, as when you have things like uh, ferrites and so forth, uh, you can put one on the inside and the outside to uh, protect your 
uh, controller from the high-power FM broadcast and uh, television RF. Yeah, sounds like uh, some good options there. I, I end up going with the uh, Dremel cutting wheel, and um, they were, they yeah, were those fairly actually large were... holes, but it was it was a little scary. Well, what I have done in the past, if I have to use the cutting thing, is uh, um, sometimes you can take a, a board or something and use it to hold the tool in line mm -hmm. so that you can make a nice straight uh, cut. Yeah, I did use a uh, a little piece of scrap metal to to do that, and uh, my cousin had actually told me that, and and it, it worked out pretty well. But um, it and it don't, definitely don't, was a an don't adventure. overlook things things like uh, Altoids tins. There's a lot of small kits that fit perfectly, like your Pixies and so forth, fit wonderfully in Altoids tins, and there you have a. Uh, uh, a nice deal. Uh, the trick that I use with Altoids tins is a lot of times I get these uh, junk mailing things that have a thing that looks like a credit card and it's plastic and it fits an Altoids tin perfectly. And so I save those and I uh, put those in the bottom and I use that as the insulator between the circuit board and the base of the Altoids tin. Ah, another good tip there on... Uh on the enclosures, so thanks for those. And uh, we're, we're going to go to break here. We're, we're due for a break. But uh, you talked about the um, uh, January and February um, CQ Magazine articles. Uh, do you have any idea what, what's coming up after that? Uh, yes, and in March we're going to talk about the Lydia kit as well as an improvement on a kit that I wrote about last year, the Cricket, which is put out by the Four State QRP group. And this is the Cricket ADA, and uh, it has a couple more options in it and uh, broadened the response of the oscillator so that you could put crystals on more than the provided frequency. Uh, so that it covers the vast majority, of course, of the 80-meter CW band, as well as uh, improving a bit even more on the receive sensitivity and a few other things. Um, the Cricket is very interesting in that you snap a 9-volt battery on it, you plug in a set of headphones, you plug your antenna in, and that's it. Uh, the key is built in, and the CW key is part of the kit. And... The coils are all wound in spirals on the circuit board itself. So you don't have to wind any toroids. There are only 36 parts in it, and it's an easy hour or two building project. Uh, even for a beginning builder, we did it as a build-a-thon kit at 4 State QRP. And within an hour and a half, we had a whole bunch of signals on the air. And that's a one-watt, well, half-watt to one-watt CW transceiver. And it's not like a pixie that can't hear. This thing easily hears signals that were like an S1 on my KX2 were easily audible and able to be QSO'd with it. All right. So that's coming up in March in CQ Magazine. So I'm going to go ahead and take a break here, uh, but we'll come back with Joe and... Uh, we may talk about uh, some more of that, and uh, also we'll take your phone calls, so uh, get those dialing fingers ready, and uh, we'll come back and take your questions with Joe, K0NEB, 
right after this word from the National Voice of America Museum of Broadcasting, right here on Ham Talk Live. The National Voice of America Museum of Broadcasting, located in Westchester, Ohio, just north of Cincinnati, is only two minutes off I-75. The museum is the former home of the Voice of America Bethany Relay Station. Tours are now available every Saturday and Sunday from 1 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. You can see the control room, a 200,000-watt transmitter, and the most comprehensive collection of inventions by the iconic Powell Crosley Jr. Also on display is a huge antique radio exhibit and R.L. Drake's personal collection of most every Drake amateur rig ever made. This is a unique opportunity to see amateur radio in action and have a chance to get on the air from WC8VOA. Admission is only $5 a person. The museum is located close to historic WLWAM and tons of shopping and restaurants. Take a trip to the VOA Museum or visit us online at voamuseum.org. Oh, yeah. You're talking ham radio, baby. You're listening to Ham Talk Live. Join the conversation. Call us on voice with Skype at Ham Talk Live or give us a call at 812-NET-HAM-1. That's 812-638-4261. Now, here's more Ham Talk Live. Ham Talk Live is on the air every Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Time right here on HamTalkLive.com. Be sure to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And during the break, Joe's been playing with Alexa in the Ham Shack. And I've always said I should should get on here and say, Alexa, play Ham Talk Live. And then everybody's Alexa would do that whenever they listen to the show. But, but Joe was, was getting uh, Alexa to figure out phonetics. Yes, it pretty does. Cool. Uh, uh, at least that skill uh, allows you to uh, give it phonetics. Yeah. So there, here's another tip from, from the kit builder, K0NEB. Well, it's time for your calls now. So if you have a question about kit building or... Uh, anything we've been talking about tonight give us a call phone number 812 net ham 1-812-638-4261 or you can skype us we're ham talk live on skype and also on twitter if you would like to tweet us and i see dr scott wright k0 md has already sent me a message and he says what good kit ideas do you have for 14 or 15 year old students who want to learn electronics? Okay. Well, there's a lot of kits out there actually that are more appropriate for that age group. Um, that, that little code practice oscillator is good because it teaches you the basics of electronics. Um, there is, uh, I would say, uh, uh, 
one that I have found to be very successful in getting people to learn about electronics is a real simple tester. Now, it's called a transistor tester, but it really does more than that. Uh, we can play Ron Popeil and say it slices, it dices, and it purees. Um, <laughs> and it makes Julian fries. Does, that's right. And <laughs> it's about 11 bucks. And what this thing does is it will test a resistor, a capacitor, a transistor, an inductor, uh, a diode, a thyristor, an NPN or PNP or MOSFET, and it will tell you which pin is connected to which lead. Like if you hooked up an NPN transistor, it would say it's an NPN transistor and the emitter base collector correspond to leads one, two, and three or whatever you have it hooked up to. Uh, if you hook up a capacitor, especially an electrolytic, it will tell you the equivalent series resistance, so we know if that's good or not. Uh, if you hook up a diode, it'll tell you which is the anode and which is the cathode, and I think it even identifies uh, certain zeners. Uh, on MOSFET transistors, it'll tell you which lead is the drain gate and source, and on all the transistors, it gives you the beta gain. Um, this is something you can use when you build other things. So you can use it to test different electronic components. And it's called a transistor tester. Uh, some people call it the, I think it's an M328 or M M8, M8 tester. I would look up that. Uh, there are several websites. You can find it on wish.com or banggood.com. And like I said, they're they're very inexpensive, but you got to take your time. The instructions that come with it aren't that great. So you're going to probably want a meter nearby to measure the resistors because these have five stripe codes on them. And so you want to be able to meter your resistors to make sure you're putting the right one in the right place. But once you have this gadget put together, you can now test every component in all the future kits that you build. So it's kind of a neat deal. Yeah, um, sounds like a real good idea. Um, I, I'm trying to think of others uh, of course the pixie kits are are very popular of course once again you got to be licensed to use those um there are a number of inexpensive uh am or am fm broadcast radio kits and so forth uh Velleman has one that's kind of um kind of oval shaped somewhat and uh it is a uh, commercial fm broadcast receiver and it's relatively easy to put together elenco e-l-e-n-c-o puts together a couple of kits one is an am broadcast only receiver and one is an am fm and the neat thing about those kits are it has a schematic diagram printed on the circuit board where the part goes so you can see physically the part and how it's incorporated in the circuit and you can make a working AM FM radio. And yeah, it's kind of interesting. It's kind of sitting on a stand and it's a wide open circuit board, but it works and actually works quite well. Um, for those who are interested in uh, an AM broadcast receiver that's relatively higher performance, there's one called the Texun, T E C S U N 2P3, like 2 Papa 3 receiver. And it's a Chinese kit also. And this particular kit makes a classic 1960s-style pocket AM receiver. However, the loop stick antenna on this thing is so darn big that I'm able to hear uh, AM broadcast stations from all over the Midwest in my basement on this thing. It's, it's probably my most powerful pocket AM radio. It, it's very amazing what it does. Um, 
there's um i'm trying to think of what else for beginners um but th- those are the ones that i would say are uh come to mind like i said uh if they are um uh, getting their license and so forth. Uh, the Pixie Kit is a great way to do it because it makes a nice little CW transceiver that you can use uh, across the room. And they're very inexpensive. If you buy those in bulk, you'll be spending less than $3 each for the Pixie Kit. And I'll tell you how much of a bargain that is. If you go to buy the BNC connector that goes on the board, you'll be spending almost that much for each one just to buy that connector. So uh, I think in bulk, I've seen them as little as $2.18 for those kits. Just absolutely amazing price to put together a simple little CW transceiver. All right. Well, there you go, Scott. There's some uh, good ideas from uh, Joe on some kits for teenagers to build that are looking to uh, get into uh, electronics and I, I really like the idea that uh, the transistor tester with uh, with all the different components so you can figure out what all you know what lead is what and and figure out uh, what they are and not only that but you can like I said pre-test your components for your kit it measures your resistors as well so instead of having to read a meter you just clip uh, one clip lead to each lead of the resistor and push the button and it tells you the value. Okay, there we go. So there's uh, your answer uh, for uh, Dr. Scott Wright, K0MD. And if you have a question, give us a call at 812-638-4261. That spells NetHam1. Um, or you can uh, Skype us or uh, you can tweet us if you like. And... Um, we will, and I'll be, uh, we'll I'll be you tweeting you. I'll be tweeting you some links uh, for these kits that we talked about. Okay, very good. Well, uh, Don actually texted us on Skype here, uh, AE4DD, um, and wants to know why do so many kit makers shy away from surface mount components, uh, especially the larger ones like um, 0805. Uh, and aren't leaded components getting more scarce? Well, the 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 uh, leaded components are getting a little more scarce, but you can use lead-free components with leaded solder, and I have no issue with that. Um, the uh, the other part of the question, uh, remind me here, um, the surface mount. Yeah, surface mount. Uh, 805 components are pretty large. Uh, the vast majority of surface mount that I've seen in kits are the 1206 size. The problem with that is is that a lot of people have an aversion to it because things like the capacitors aren't marked at all. And so it's kind of hard to deal with them. Uh, that test I was talking about, believe it or not, has pads on it that you can use a, a pair of wooden tweezers and hold the part down, and it will tell you what it is. But uh, um, I have seen surface mount parts in kits. In fact, the uh, DSO-138 scope kit is available with and without the surface mount parts already mounted for you, and that's a uh, about a $22 oscilloscope kit. And uh, it does have the option to have the surface mount already assembled and not. Um, Kit makers shy away from surface mount if they can because 
if somebody doesn't succeed building their kit because of that obstacle, then people aren't going to want to build anymore, let alone buy any more kits that are like that. There are surface mount builders and there are surface mount kits out there, but there aren't nearly as many as the standard through-hole components. And it's mostly because we don't want to discourage anybody. Now, uh, sometimes uh, it's a necessity, uh, as in a couple of the kits we've done with forced AQRP, and what we do with the surface mount components, especially your resistors and capacitors, is I just take a tiny dab of solder, not even enough to make a bubble on the, the board, just enough to wet it. And then I take my tweezers and I bring that part down to the board and I take that iron, I heat up that end and just get it enough to stick. It doesn't look good, but it sticks and holds it in the right position. Then I solder the other half of it, and then I go back to the first half and put some more solder on it. It makes it look nice and even. So if you're doing a handful of surface mount parts, uh, that's the way to do it. Now, if you go to qrpkits.com, not guys, but kits, qrpkits.com, there are a couple of surface mount kits, including a 40-meter CW transceiver that's almost all surface mount. So uh, there are kits out there that do use it, but I think the kit makers try to shy away only because uh, they want to make sure that their builders are successful. And by adding the extra burden of uh, surface mount parts, sometimes it discourages people. However, I don't object to it if there's like one or two parts because um, like the original um, rock mites used to use an 8-pin surface mount I see. The new ones now have the regular through holes again, but they used to use an 8-pin surface mount flat pack IC, and it really wasn't that hard to do. All you had to do was hold it down with the tweezers and get one leg soldered exactly right with all the pins lined up, and then it held it in place, and you just went zip, 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 zip with a, an iron and a real thin solder, and you got it done. And that's the other thing. When you're working with surface mount parts, you have to have a much smaller, finer tip on your iron and use a thinner solder so you don't make a lot of uh, uh, bridges between pads. All right. Well, there you go. There's uh, the answer to your question, and thanks for writing in. And we've got just one minute left, Joe. And and so I wanted to get to the Dr. Seuss hat because the, the old hat is being retired Yes, it is. Uh, it has been on my head for 18 years at Dayton, and for two years before that, a predecessor to it that had my old call sign. Somebody told me I should donate them to the ARL Museum or sell them as a fundraiser <laughs> for for AMSAT or something, you know. But uh, we'll we'll determine later what's going to happen. But we have three new hats, two of which were embroidered by the nice folks, Ron and Amy, from Gold Medal Ideas. And uh, they did an excellent job on them at the Peoria Ham Fest. And uh, these are self-supporting hats, which means I don't need to put wadded-up newspaper or balloons or <laughs> something else in there anymore. So these are self-supporting, uh, but they will have antenna and so forth on it as before. And the third one, it's going to be a surprise. It's, it's going to be worn at a special event. And uh, just trust me, I'm sure the uh, social media will be full of pictures of the third one. All right. Well, we'll be looking forward to that coming up uh, in May over in uh, Dayton and see the new hat. So, 
appreciate you coming on and talking about the hats and, and the kits and enclosures, and, and we'll look forward to doing it again soon. You bet, Neil. Always glad to come on Ham Talk Live. All right. Well, that is a wrap for this week's Ham Talk Live. Thanks to Joe Eisenberg, K0NEB, and everyone out there in cyberspace for listening and for writing in tonight. And invite you back next Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. And to keep up with uh, who's going to be on the show, you just go to hamtalklive.com and click on the schedule link there, and you can see uh, as we schedule uh, future guests for the show. In fact, I've got a couple I need to throw in there right now, so I'll we'll do that shortly. Uh, so for now, this is Neil Rapp, WB9VPG, saying 7375. And may the good DX be yours. 7-3 and good luck from Ham Talk Live.